right, let's try this out. Good morning. Awesome. Well, my name is Josh, and I'm so excited to be here this morning. If you don't know who I am, you might be sitting here like, who the heck is this guy, right? Like, if you haven't seen me around the church, um, I actually have the privilege and the honor to be able to serve as the kids' pastor here, and I am literally blown away by this church and blown away by how much they're investing into our kids' ministry. Um, the first time we walked back there, my wife and I came back in December, we were just checking out the church. We knew our close friend Joseph was working here. And so uh, we came by and we saw the rock wall and we we're like, what in the world is this? This is crazy. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a church where like there were wooden pews, right? And there was no kids ministry. There was sometimes Sunday school in which Sunday school was just like a little art craft. And then we would sit in those pews and listen to our pastor preach. And I remember sitting there thinking the whole time, what in the heck is going on? And I remember our pastor at one point, he looked at us and said, this is what heaven is going to be like. I'm, I'm serious. Like as a five or six-year-old, I remember sitting there going, I don't want to go to heaven. Like, that sounds terrible, right? What I'm so excited about here, though, is that we're creating a space, and you guys already have a space. You have an incredible team where we're telling kids that church can be fun and, and that Jesus is actually something really cool, something that you can engage with right now. This is super exciting, and I'm so pumped to be here. And as uh, they shared in the video, Pastor Ben, Pastor Will, Pastor Joseph, they're all out of town, so they've entrusted me, which is pretty crazy, because I was sitting there like, I don't know what they're thinking, right? I've only been here a couple weeks, but we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, I want to go ahead and start by sharing a little bit of my story, because most of you I have not met with. Most of you guys are probably, like I said, sitting there thinking, I don't even know this guy, and he's on our stage, right? Um, so, a little bit about me. I was born in Seoul, South Korea in 1990. Um, I was sent to an orphanage not long after that, and I was actually selected to go to the States to add quote-unquote diversity to American orphanages. Now, when you think of that, there's a certain element of excitement. There's a certain element of, wow, that's good news. Um, you know, the American dream. Essentially, I was told later on in life that if I had stayed in that orphanage, I probably would have stayed there until I was 15, 16 years old and then eventually ended up on the streets uh, or eventually ended up in some kind of factory. So you, you hear about this and it's, it's awesome, right? You've got this, this new opportunity, this new hope for a future. It didn't exactly turn out that way. I, I was adopted by this first family and was abused and neglected for about three to four years. At the age of three, almost four, I was 24 pounds and under three feet tall. The doctors said that I was a failure to thrive and wouldn't amount to anything. Uh, my parents that eventually adopted me said that they were actually told to expect me to be a home child and that I wouldn't actually do anything with my life. So here I am in an orphanage and social services knew of this family that had done so much before in terms of these kinds of stories. So they called up my parents and they said, hey, we, we've got another child. Would you be at all interested in adopting? Well, they, they jumped on it immediately. Mom said that I walked through the door and I had this little uh, grocery bag, like a Kroger grocery bag, right? That's all that I came with. Uh, the jeans that I had were ripped. This is kind of funny, but my mom says that the first thing that she did was I walked through the door and I apparently had a rat tail. Do you guys remember those things, right? Right, well, the first thing that came off was that. She snipped that thing off real fast. And uh, I walked through the doors, and Mom said that she sat on the couch in the classroom in our house in California. She said the first thing that I did was ran around the house and tried to find places to hide. It's interesting the things that you remember as a child and the things that you don't. I don't remember my first birthday, my first Christmas. I don't remember my second or third or fourth birthday or Christmas, but I could draw you an outline of the house that I was in. I remember being put in a closet and 
being left there for hours. But I remember there was a gray jacket that hung almost down to the floor. And I remember sitting behind that gray jacket and feeling safe. Uh, I remember sitting behind a couch watching the family eat dinner and seeing there was a crack right between that I could actually see the light poking through behind the couch. You hear stories like that, and instantaneously you think that, wow, this is not going to turn out too well. Uh, my parents actually told me later on that the doctor said if I had stayed with that family two weeks longer, I probably wouldn't have made it. So here I am, a child with little hope, um, a child with this expectation of failure to thrive. Thankfully, the doctors were wrong. My parents raised me in an incredible home, and a home that was filled with love. And I'm about to share a little bit more of my story and a little bit more of my family's story. And I just want you to understand that love can change everything. When you put in a child in an environment with love and opportunity, they can't just, it's not just them having the opportunity to succeed, but giving them an opportunity to thrive. Within that first year, I grew eight inches and was a normal kid just running around causing mayhem. My sisters, uh, I later found out later on that my family was quite big. I was one of 11. My parents adopted nine of us. They took in all the kids that no one else wanted. They did foster care for over 30 years and had probably 30, 40, 50 kids come in and out of their house. And they adopted, like I said, the kids that no one else wanted. So I had three sisters in wheelchairs, uh, two sisters with uh, feeding tubes and oxygen tanks. I had three or four sisters that um, were mentally handicapped. And what I found so quickly is that my parents loved us unconditionally. And even though we weren't their biological children, they treated us as if we were. And I want to say really quickly this morning, one of the things that I'm blown away with is the fact that we as a church often lose sight of the fact that God can do miracles right here and right now. I think sometimes we read our text and read the Bible, and it's like, that's just a thing of, of the Bible, of the, of the olden days. But the reality is, is that God's doing miracles every single day. I saw my sister who... Doctor said she would never walk, she walked. I, I saw two of my sisters who their life expectancy was set at a certain time, well they surpassed that by over five years. I've seen stories in which others of my siblings who faced abuse and neglect were told that hey, your future doesn't look too bright, well they defied the odds. And I share that with you this morning because today we're going to be talking about family ministries and I wanted you to kind of know my heart, the reason that I'm so passionate about family ministries is because without family ministries, I wouldn't be standing before you this morning. Family ministries saved my life. My family saved my life. And so this morning, we're going to talk on that. We're going to focus in simply on that, on family ministries. And what you'll find very quickly is the family unit is the oldest and longest structure that was ever created. And you'll find very quickly that the family unit was something that God cared about. He loved. If you look back in Genesis... Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He was talking to Adam and Eve. You, you see, God created Adam and Eve, and they were part of this perfect creation. And following that, he talks to them in regards to the rest of the earth. And he says, you're going to rule over this. So what you find very quickly is that God cares about the family. He's created it. It's part of his perfect creation. You see, this text came before the fall. And so if you think of that, 
this is before sin entered the, entered the world. And so the family unit, the family structure was part of God's perfect design. And just as sin entered the world, it entered the family structure. It entered the family unit. And as a result, throughout God's word, we find countless stories of God's attempt to give us directions or things in regards to how we can fix our homes. And there are countless stories that depict these, some of these families, some of these incidents of family repair. I mean, Cain and Abel had the typical sibling rivalry. Okay, maybe it wasn't exactly typical, right? Noah was the dad in which his kids probably thought he was crazy, right? I mean, imagine being Noah's son just for a moment, right? I mean, we're living here in Ohio, and your dad looks at you and says, hey, listen, we're going to go outside. We're going to build a boat. All right? We're going to build a boat. That's fine. And it's going to be the biggest boat ever, but we're not near any water. I mean, could you imagine what was probably going through his son's mind? Abraham didn't trust God and thought Sarah was too old to have kids, so he had a child with a maid. Joseph was a spoiled little brother who his, whose, whose brothers actually sold into slavery. Moses was adopted by a slave-ruling king. Lot tried to give his daughters away to a bunch of hooligans. David had a fling with his next-door neighbor. Solomon had wisdom but filled his house with 700 uh, wives and 300 concubines. Jesus' parents actually left him behind on a road trip. Right? I mean, you, you come in today and you probably hear some of those things, but you might have walked in thinking, my family is totally dysfunctional. Well, do you really think it's that dysfunctional now, Right? The truth is, is that God cares about the family unit. So much so that if you actually look at the Ten Commandments, two of the Ten Commandments deal with the cohesiveness of the family unit. The, the fifth commandment says, honor your mother and father, which is meant to preserve the authority of parents in the family. The seventh commandment is, you shall not commit adultery, which is meant to protect the sanctity of marriage. And it's not just an Old Testament value, right? I mean, you look at it and you'll find that, that Jesus and the Apostle Paul both actually focus in on, on family and marriage throughout their teachings. So very quickly we find that the family unit is important. It's something that God cares about. So what does this have to do with you and I? I'd like to go ahead and focus in on our text today that we're going we're gonna to really dig deep into. It's First Timothy 5.8. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and pull that out. You can also pull it up on your Bible app. But it says, but if anyone does not provide for the, his relatives, and especially for his, the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Pretty harsh, right? Is worse than an unbeliever. Now, when you think of provision, you're probably thinking of physical provision, Right? I mean, as a parent, your responsibility is to provide food on the table and a roof over your kids' houses, it's, or over their heads. It's the responsibility to give them every opportunity to succeed. I would dare to say that there might be a little bit more than that. So I'm going to talk to parents just for a moment, but don't think if you're, a parent, if you're not a parent in the room that you're going to get off. We're going to come back to you later. But moms and dads, the first thing that I want you to understand is that you are your child's biggest hero. And as a hero in your child's life, your duty is to ultimately provide for them. But it goes beyond just the table. It goes beyond just food and, and shelter. Provision also has to do with the spiritual. 
You see, we focus so much on that, but just as our, our physical body hungers and thirsts, as does our spiritual. And I wonder sometimes, is it possible that we're feeding the flesh but starving the spirit? I love this quote by Craig Rochelle. He said, he's the pastor of Life Church. He says, our greatest priority as Christian parents is to gradually transfer our children's dependence away from us until it rests solely on God. Our greatest responsibility as Christian parents is to pull all of their reliance on us and eventually push it towards God. Now, your ultimate responsibility as a parent is to lead your kids to Christ. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, wait a second, isn't that your job, right? You're the kid's pastor. You're supposed to be doing that, right? I'm going to humbly have to disagree with that statement. I believe that the portion of my job that will produce the most fruit is not what we do on Sunday mornings, but rather how we can partner with you as parents in your household. Don't get me wrong, we're going to always strive to have an excellent service in the back. We're going to always strive to have excellent volunteers and have excellent teachings. But this responsibility weighs heavily on you. I mean, the reality is, is that if you bring your child to church every Sunday, and they come back to us every Sunday, and on average we get them for about an hour, it's about 52 hours, 52 hours. It's a little over two days. So I had John Holmes help me out because John can always seem to pull out whatever I need in terms of just things in general, right? Um, so he, had, he helped me out and he got this piece of rope for me. And this rope is actually 365 feet long. Yes, he measured it. I had him do that. He was awesome and, and he, he helped me out with all of that. But what I want you to see really quickly is that if you take your child to church for two, for one Sunday every year, or not one Sunday every year, sorry, every Sunday of the year, right? It equates to two days in total time. This yellow represents the time that you see your child spends in church. And it doesn't look that bad, right? That's actually pretty long. It's about two feet. And you look at that and it seems like, okay, that's not too bad. But if this is all the time that you devote to your, your child's spiritual development, are you really giving them enough to succeed? Are you really giving them enough for their, their relationship with Christ to thrive? I did a little bit more study as I was preparing for this, and I want you to think about this really quick. The average child between 5 and 16 years old spends about six hours a day in front of a screen. Six hours a day in front of a screen. That would equate to 91.25 days if you did the math over the course of a year. Essentially, for us in our illustration, that's about 91.25 feet. Can I tell you I'd be pulling this for a little bit, right? 91.25. But let's break it down a little bit more. Six hours a day in one week would equate to 42 hours. In 10 days, we would reach about 60 hours, which already surpasses the amount of time that we've devoted to the spiritual development of our kids. We're giving them more time in front of screens than we are giving them time with Jesus. Something to think about. But did you also know that we spend on average over the course of a year about 17 days eating? That's pretty interesting, right? 17 days. Some of you guys are like, that's not even close, man. 
<laughs> right? You're like, no, that's, that's probably like 40 days. But on average, it's about 17 days. Like I said before, is it possible that we're feeding the flesh but starving the spirit? My youth pastor used to tell me when I was growing up that I can tell where your heart is based off of where you spend your time and where you spend your money. He used to tell us you can say that you're, all on, you're on fire for Jesus, but ultimately your life will display it, how you live it, where you spend your money, where you spend your time. And how you live your life and your family will directly influence your kids' views on the church and, more importantly, their views on God. So what are we going to do about it? We've pointed out the problem, but what's the solution? i got three points for you, parents, so go ahead and jot these down. I think they're actually in our notes. But the first point is this. Fight for the spiritual health of your family. The truth is, is that we're in a fight for our families. Like I said before, the family is the oldest structure, the oldest and longest standing structure that God ever created. And this structure is under attack. Will we fight for it? Will we fight for the spiritual development of our kids? You've got a lot to fight against. You've got iPads, TVs, video games, computers. That averages about, like I said, six hours a day. You've got sports teams and activities. That's about one hour a day. You've got school now, which is about 6.6 hours a day. And, of course, you've got to sleep at some point in there. But what precedent are we setting for our kids? The only time that they are being discipled is in church. What are we unintentionally telling our kids if we tell them that sports and school are mandatory, but church is optional? Now, don't get me wrong. Don't walk out of here and say, hey, Pastor Josh told us that our kids shouldn't go to school. They should be in church. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what are we telling our kids if we tell them that they have to go to school, they have to play sports, they have to do this, they have to do that, but on Sunday mornings it's like, ah, I don't really feel like getting up. We're not going to go to church today. What standard, what precedent are we setting for our kids? What are our kids going to think in regards to the importance of church and their relationship with Jesus, if that's what we're saying to them? So what does this look like in your home? What if you spent 15 minutes every day in prayer or in his word or talking about Jesus or in worship or simply devoted to him? What if each day you spent 15 minutes with your kids and said, we're just going to talk about Jesus today? What do you have? Do you have any questions? What would this look like? If you only spent 15 minutes every day, you would automatically add about four years, or four, four years, four days to your child's spiritual development. What, what if you made a decision today to say that, listen, we're going to pray four times a day in our family, right? We're going to pray over breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then we're going to pray before we go to bed. Four prayers a day. 28 prayers a week, 112 prayers a month, and in the course of a year, you've prayed 1,344 times. What if that was our decision today? The truth is, is that we've got to put up a fight, and if we don't, the world is going to teach our kids not to. The second point today is fight to set the standard. Charles Spurgeon once said, train up your child in the way they should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. Obviously, he's taking that from Proverbs 22.6. But ultimately, your kids are going to see everything that you do. I would dare to say they're going to learn more from you than they will in school. It's one thing to teach them. It's another thing to live it out. 
When I was growing up, uh, I went to church every Sunday, and when I got old enough, I started going to youth group, and uh, it's called, it was called youth group back then. I think it's called student ministry now. They always change things on us, right? Try and make it sound cooler. Uh, well, I was part of the worship team, and I played bass, and so um, I was actually driving my car into church one day, and uh, it had just rained, and being the you know, normal 16-year-old guy that I thought I was, I could, you know, just drive as fast as I normally would go, even though the, the ground was wet. So I took a turn, and I uh, slid straight off the road, slammed straight into a tree. And uh, I was fine, got out of the car, looked at my car. My car wasn't going anywhere. The tire was slammed up against the frame. And uh, I got out and uh, called my parents. First thing I did, I called, and my mom answered the phone. And I was, like, in that moment, I was like, praise the Lord, it was my mom, right? You guys know, like, you always have that, that one parent, right? That one parent that it's like, I can go to them, we're going to avoid the other one at all costs, right? So I'm talking to her, and I'm like, hey, like, I got into an accident, I'm okay, I hit a tree. And she says, all right, don't worry, I'll get your dad on the way. And I was like, no, 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 you answered the phone, you're responsible, right? And she said, no, don't worry, I'm going to send your dad. Well, I, I was freaking out at that point. Right? I, I'm, I'm literally standing there shaking. And it wasn't because I was shaking about the car or the crash. It was because I knew my dad was on his way, right? So I'm sitting there. My dad walks up uh, and he pulls up in his car, walks out and starts walking towards me and he starts laughing. And it was really one of those awkward moments. I was standing there and I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be laughing with him or is like this like the evil laugh before he starts going off on me? Like, what do I do? So I kind of just was like, <laughs> yeah, look at the car, right? And he walked up to me, and he looked at me, and he looked at the car, looked at me, looked at the car, and he said, honestly, I'm just happy you're okay. And I tell you that story this morning because that was one of the moments that I actually saw Christ through my dad. That was one of the, the many moments that I saw Christ through my dad. You see, it was in that moment that I realized that he cared more about me than the mistake that I had made. And I honestly believe that in that moment, it helped me come to Christ even quicker in regards to any mistake that I had because I knew that regardless of what I had done, my Father in heaven would love me too. And that wasn't the only time that my dad showed, showed up and showed how his life represented Christ in my life. He set the standard in so many ways. He set the standard on who I should become as a, as a Christian man, as a husband, and someday as a father. You see, I never saw my dad raise his voice at my mom. I never saw them get into a heated argument. I always saw my dad treat my mom with dignity and honor. And I say that to say it didn't take my dad teaching me on how to be a good husband, right? I mean, he didn't sit me down one day and say, hey, this is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to be a good boyfriend. I never got a book. Did anybody ever get a book where they're like, hey, this is how you're supposed to? I don't think anybody gets that. Ultimately, where we learn those things is from our parents, how they treat each other, how they respond to each other. And your, your home and how you carry yourself is a school where your kids will learn the most. So what does this look like for you? I'd say the first thing is make sure that you're okay. Make sure that you're getting fed. Make sure that your, your relationship, your marriage is healthy and strong. Because ultimately, your kids are going to look directly at that and set the standard for what they're supposed to look for moving forward. You should be the greatest beacon of Christ in your child's life. 
you should be the greatest beacon. Not myself, not Pastor Ben. Listen, we'll fan the flame, we'll, we'll, keep your go, we'll keep you going, but ultimately, it lies on you. And every word that you say is being learned by your children. Chuck Swindoll said this at one point. He said, each day of our lives, we deposit in the memory banks of our children. Each day of our lives, we deposit in the memory banks of our children. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that someday the deposits that I make into my kids are good. The deposit that I make into my kids someday are going to be helpful for them to grow. As most of you guys know, and if you don't know, because you don't know me yet, Megan and I don't have kids yet. But it'll happen at some point. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Somebody told me something's in the water up here because every single person around our age is pregnant or has kids. And I see some of your heads nodding like, yep, it's going to happen. So we've kind of talked through that. But if we do have a daughter at some point, I want her to know the difference between a man who flatters her and a man who compliments her. I want her to know the difference between a man who spends money on her and a man who invests in her. I want her to know the difference between a man who views her, who views her as property and a man who views her properly. I want her to know the difference between a man who lusts after her and a man who loves her. And I want her to know the difference between a man who thinks that he is God's gift to women and a man who knows that a woman was God's gift to man. And in the same way, if I had a son, I want him to know what that is. I want him to know what the difference is. I want him to set that standard himself. Parents, can I tell you this morning that it is our greatest responsibility, one of the greatest legacies that we will leave behind is our kids and how we raise them, not just how we teach them, but how we live out our lives will directly impact and influence their future. Finally, my last point to, your par- to our parents this morning is fight with the authority that God gave you. Fight with the authority that God gave you. So I did student ministry before coming up here, and I did that for about five years. And one of the greatest mistakes that I saw from parents was the parents who looked more like they were focused on being friends with their kids than they were being parents. And I want to challenge you, if you're, if you're sitting there and saying, I want to be my kid's best friend, I'm not saying don't be friends with your kids, but ultimately you need to be that authority figure. You, you've, been, you've been that standard that, that God has set up in your household. You've been empowered in that way. And it's your responsibility to use that authority. Charles Spurgeon said, if we never have headaches through rebuking our children, we, have pl- we will have plenty of heartaches when they grow up. The truth is, is this may sound odd, but on multiple occasions, the Bible outlines parenting. And throughout the book of Proverbs, where you're given instructions on what he expects, one of the things that I saw that I thought was interesting, he said, it's Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, and whoever loves him diligent, loves him as diligent to discipline him. So I don't know how you guys kind of grew up, but I grew up with a, a wooden spoon. You know, if I ever did something, I saw that wooden spoon, I would usually take off running. I know this is something that is kind of looked down upon now, but I'll tell you this much. Obviously, my parents learned at that, that, a certain stage when they should stop, but it did give me a healthy respect towards my parents. You see, while I feared my father, I also knew that he loved me. And I want to challenge you this morning in the sense that you've been given an authority 
You've been given a power inside your families, and it's your responsibility to stand as that disciplinary figure. Our families are under attack, and it is our duty to be the last line of defense. Our kids are being exposed to more than they've ever been before. If you couldn't tell, I like telling stories. Um, it's just part of who I am, and it's a good way for me to be able to connect with you. Um, I recently was watching uh, sports. I love sports. I like, uh, sorry guys, I'm not an Ohio State fan, not a Bengals fan, and it probably won't change. Some of you guys are, are going to tune me out from here on out, right? You're like, I don't want to hear from this guy anymore. Um, but I was well, listening recently to uh, a broadcaster on uh, ESPN about an Atlanta Braves pitcher. Uh, and this pitcher came so close to a no-hitter. He, he got through nine innings and had two outs out, and he had two strikes on the last batter. If you don't know what a no-hitter is, it's an entire game where you don't give up a hit the entire time. And, and he lost it on the last pitch. Well, the next day, what I found so interesting was that ESPN wasn't broadcasting this incredible performance, but rather they were broadcasting some tweets that he had posted back when he was in high school, some tweets that he probably shouldn't have posted. And I'm telling you that this morning because Ultimately, social media and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these different outlets, guys, we've got to be the disciplinary figure through all of that. I don't know, I mean, I don't have kids yet, so it's going to happen at some point, but if my kids ever told me that I, I can't have access to their social media accounts, I would probably look at them and say, well, you can't have access to our data then. Guys, it's our responsibility to protect them, to discipline and to provide that guidance and direction. The truth is, is that things that they do right now can directly affect their future. This guy had an awesome day, but it was overshadowed by some mistakes that he had made. And maybe if his parents had simply said, hey, you can't do that. You got to take those things down. We've got to start standing up to the cultural expectations in regards to media and technology. I was talking to a uh, my wife, and she had talked to, to Whitney, Pastor Joseph's wife, and she said that she promised herself that she would never do this, but she ended up doing it the other day. Uh, you know, the twins were crying, and she was so, like, just overwhelmed that she ended up giving them a screen. And, and it got them quiet, right? And our tendency sometimes is to simply give them what they want rather than fight for what is right. And I think sometimes we've got to understand that if we give up that, if we sacrifice our authority in that, what we're ultimately doing is giving our kids the opportunity to fall into the trap that the devil has set for them. Guys, we've got to set the standard. We've got to protect them. We've got to use the authority. But we've got to ultimately fight. Don't give up your authority for all the screens in the media. Don't give up the authority because all the other kids are doing it. Don't give up the authority because they, they can be, so that they can be with their friends or they can be like their friends. This morning, I want to re-empower you with the authority that God gave you. Now, parents, I've talked to you for a majority of this message, so I'm going to let you off the hook. Some of you guys are like, praise the Lord, because you've been freaking hammering down on me, right? Ultimately, like I said, it starts with parents, but it doesn't end there. If you look at our text, it, it says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, the first word, what is that first word? Anyone. It starts with parents, but the responsibility ultimately lies on everyone. In the book of Acts, there are countless stories that tell us that we have the ability to lead our entire households to Jesus. 
The truth is, is the minute that you give your life to Jesus, you became responsible for your circle. And that circle begins with family, but it doesn't end there. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was asked about his mother and his brothers? In Mark 3, 34 through 35, he said this. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him, and he said, here are my brothers. Here here are my mother and, and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The text begins with relatives, and then it goes towards household. But the truth is, is that we as the body are all held responsible. It is all of our duties to step up and to fight for the family and to provide. And I hadn't focused in on this too much because the end of that text is kind of depressing and scary, but take note of what it says at the end. It says, anyone who does not do this, anyone who does not provide has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty harsh, but I think what that should tell us this morning is the importance of family in God's mind and in God's eyes. In this text, Paul is not saying that you have verbally denied the faith, but rather he is referring to believers, to people who, who thought that they were in the faith and yet perhaps were den- denied practicing it. James 2.17 says, so faith without works is dead. Guys, this is one of our greatest responsibilities and one of our greatest duties. Like I said, it starts with the parents, but ultimately it comes down to all of us. And that's where I think kids' ministry is such an, opportun- an awesome opportunity to serve because it gives us the chance to take on that responsibility. It gives us a chance to take on and provide for these kids in ways that perhaps they wouldn't have gotten elsewhere. So I'm going to close with one more story and then our bold steps. This story is probably going to make you laugh, but it's okay. I'm a little embarrassed by it, and I thought about not sharing it, but hey, what the heck, right? Um, so as I told you before, growing up, I was in a house with a lot going on. There's always something to get into. And uh, I remember sitting down one day with my sister, Marianne, and we were watching Aladdin, right? Anybody like the original Aladdins, like all of the original Disney movies, not this new stuff? Like I'm a, a Disney classic, classics kind of guy. Like I'm not the guy that looks at this Moana and Frozen. Like that's not Disney. Like Disney for me was Aladdin, The Lion King, like those, those types of movies. So I remember watching one of them. It was uh, Aladdin Return of Jafar. And there was a portion of this movie where Aladdin gets sucked into this spinning water-like cyclone thing, right? Some of you guys are nodding your head because you watched it probably yesterday, right? But this thing's like, this thing's spinning. And I remember like after that, I had to go to the bathroom and I ran into the bathroom and my sister had actually set up these Aladdin figurines. Aladdin was her favorite movie. And so they're sitting like over the toilet. Spinning cyclone, Aladdin figurines. I mean, the toilet just seems normal, right? So I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, this is perfect. Like literally, like I remember this like it was yesterday. It was like I was seeing Aladdin in real life, right? Like Aladdin was spinning around this toilet bowl like real fast. And I remember watching it and thinking, this is so awesome. And then he was gone. <laughs> he didn't come back like he did in the movie. And uh, I kind of just forgot about it. I was like, all right, whatever. I mean, over the next couple of days, I started to notice that these guys kept coming in and out of our house and that I was told I wasn't allowed to use the toilet downstairs. It still didn't cross my mind that that was my fault, of course. So 
about a week goes by and I come to find that uh, when I went outside to go play with my sister, I looked down the street and these guys are literally digging up the sidewalk and like all the way down to the corner of, the, of our subdivision. I didn't think anything of it, right? That was whatever. So one day like we're standing there and uh, somebody knocks on our door. And I walk with my mom, and I was really small at this point, so I'm holding on to my mom's leg. And uh, the guy is standing there, and my mom opens the door, and he holds up this little figurine and says, I think this belongs to someone. And I remember in that moment looking up and thinking, oh, shoot. I'm not kidding. Like, you'll think I'm making this up. I took off running. Like, I was gone. I, it was in that moment when I realized that that was my fault. And I tell you that story because it was in the, that was the first time in my life where I actually realized that I was responsible for something, right? That was the first time in my life where I realized, oh my gosh, like the plumbers, the, the, the digging up of the, the street, like that was all of my fault. And later on, my mom would tell me that, you know, it cost a little bit of money. So that was, there was even like an expense cost that that was my fault. And the truth is, is that someday we're going to be held responsible, Someday we're going to stand before God and he's going to look at us and go through all of the things that he entrusted us with. And one of the greatest things that he's entrusted us with is our family. The problem is that in that moment, we're not going to have anywhere to run. My greatest fear is to someday stand before God and not necessarily look forward, but look back and see all the faces that I could have reached. To see all the opportunity that I could have stepped into, but I decided there was something else I'd rather do. Kids' ministry is not just something that you're doing childcare, and raising your kids is not just something that you should do just because you're a good parent, but actually the, the, the mentality that you should start taking a hold of is that God has entrusted you with these kids. You've essentially been adopting these kids because these kids are God's first. How are you gonna, what are you going to be able to say someday when you stand before God and he says, how did you do with the boys and the girls that I entrusted you with? What is your response going to be? We have the opportunity to make it right. And I, I'm saying this to you not because I'm out of the loop. I mean, the truth is, is that just about every message that a pastor preaches, he's probably preaching to himself as well. And our responsibility just doesn't lie within our kids, but also within our family and in our sphere of influence. We have a great responsibility and a great opportunity. So this morning, I'd like to go ahead and invite you to grab that Connect card that they talked about. Pull it out. We're going to go over some bold steps. The first bold step is salvation. Maybe you're sitting in the room today and you're like, Josh, I don't even know what the heck you've been talking about for the entire time that you've been speaking. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're like, I want to know about this Jesus that you're talking about. We'd love for you to go ahead and check that first box. We're going to connect with you. We're going to talk you through what that looks like. If that's you today, we want to invite you to do that. Maybe today you said, you know what, Josh, I just really feel empowered to, to get baptized. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe that's setting the standard for your kids. Maybe it's showing your kids, hey, listen, I'm all in for Jesus. Maybe you've never done it before. We want to go ahead and encourage you to check that second box. The third box that I want to encourage you to check off this morning is a commitment to fighting for the spiritual health of your family a commitment to fighting for the spiritual health of your family. Maybe you're already doing it, but maybe it's a level where you can step it up even more. And here's what I love about this church is that we're ready to partner with you in it. We're ready to fight with you in the, in the battle, in the, in the mud. The third 
the third uh, bold step is I would like to join the mega training on August 18th. Now, you're probably sitting there now thinking, what the heck, like, you're just trying to pr promote your own ministry. Well, I am. I'm not going to lie. I am to a certain extent. But the other thing that I want you to understand is that if you're a part of this body, the minute that you gave your life to Jesus, you became responsible as well. You have an opportunity to not just make an, an impact here in this church, but also in the kids' lives that come every single week. Our, our goal is to not just put on an awesome experience, but to literally invest into our kids' lives and to partner with parents in the process. The fifth, uh, the fifth point that I want to invite you to do is I would like to partner with the church in the dis discipleship of my children. So here's what I'm committing to you to doing. If you're a parent in the room and you've got kids, one of my greatest responsibilities is partnering with you as parents. I want to be able to provide you with resources and tools and different things that you can use to help disciple your kids. And so if that's you this morning, we've got an awesome outlet that uh, Pastor Melissa has actually given me access to. It's called Right Now Media. And there's some incredible opportunities, some incredible opportunities to take the screens that are in front of their faces where they're watching a bunch of junk all the time to take those screens and leverage them for the power of the kingdom of God. So that's an, another opportunity for us to, to do ministry together. At the end of the day, I don't want to stand before God and look at him and say, this is all I've given. This is all I've given. Towards the development of my kids, towards the, their relationship with you. We can talk about it every single day and say that, that our lives are all about Jesus and that we're Christians to our kids, but if our lives don't depict it, if we aren't daily disciplining them, if we aren't daily pouring into them, if we aren't daily investing into them, then the world is gonna pull them away. I wanna challenge you this morning to fight for your kids, fight for their spiritual health, fight for their spiritual development. And if you're not a parent, I want to challenge you to join the fight. Partner alongside these parents. And let's win hearts for Jesus in the process. I'm going to go ahead and pray. This is an opportunity in a moment. The ushers are going to come. They're going to pass the bucket by. They're, this is your opportunity to drop that bucket or drop your Connect card into there. It's also an opportunity if you call this place home to partner with us in ministry through your offering. After that, the team's going to lead us in worship. Thank you guys so much for coming out this morning. I hope that this message was somehow able to speak to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this incredible opportunity, this incredible privilege that we've got, Lord, to do ministry together and to invest into our kids' lives. God, thank you for the parents in this room. God, I pray that they would understand the true gift and opportunity that you've given them, Father to lead their kids, not just in a physical way, to provide for their kids, not just in a physical way, but in a spiritual way as well. Father, I pray today that you would put a, a heavy burden, a, a weight on their shoulders to, for them to be reminded of that responsibility. And Father, for anybody in this room today that, that is thinking about maybe serving with kids and, and having that opportunity to invest into these kids' lives, Father, I pray that you would burn a fire within their heart. Get them excited for what's ahead. Father, we look forward to all that you're going to do. Take this offering that we've got today, double it, multiply it, God, and allow us to use it to better your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen.